Welcome to episode 7 of the Michael Anthony Show. Um, I know I said there'd be an episode Monday, but um, certain things happen in life and the episode's on Tuesday. Big fucking deal. Um, and also, excuse me if I'm like wincing a bit or kind of, you can hear me being a bit short of breath. I woke up, um, I think four days ago now. Um, I can't move. Every time I raise my head to the ceiling, my spine goes into some sort of spasm. I'm kind of like Shallow Hal's mate um, who crawls. Um, I'm just in an unbelievable amount of discomfort. Something happened on my back. I don't know what it is. Um, I think it could be like one of the first signs of obesity. I think I'm getting to the stage now where my, uh, my diet's so poor that I'm just getting injured. I'm just like an injured guy. Um, it's a pity, but I'll deal with it. I mean, when I first came back, I was... Let's not forget what we're talking about here. We're talking about a former, like, athlete here. Do you know what I mean? I could I could do 100 metres in like 14 seconds in my peak. Um, when I first came back from America a few months ago, I lost like 5 kg in 14 days. It was insane. I was walking around the place like Matthew McConaughey. Um, I would eat around 750 calories a day maybe 800 on a, on a on a terrible day and I'd do around 600 calories of cardio in the gym uh, and, and lift weights I was like fucking Steve Redgrave on the row machine and I was like Bobby Lashley on the fucking bench it, it was actually quite frankly disgusting uh, those close to me were, were calling it a human rights issue but um, after that I then got uh, my wisdom teeth out for what I thought was going to be a routine procedure, I went in to get I went in to get one removed. Yeah, the chap took three out. Um, wouldn't recommend the procedure. And um, following that, I obviously couldn't stick to my diet of literal leaf and um, like animals I caught with my bare hands. So um, I kind of started eating things like Ben and Jerry's. Obviously, been an addict. Um, that wasn't great for me, and I'm I'm still kind of actually. Talking into the Ben and Jerry's now, and we're, we're six weeks on from the extraction. So, I will return though to being healthy and in shape. I, I think it's very boring if someone wants to spend 12 months of the year in shape. I mean, come on, you only get one life. Oh, it feels good to feel good about yourself. It also feels good to eat a fucking spice bag on a Friday night. Then I don't even tell you it doesn't. That balance is key. Six months fat, six months in shape. Don't bore yourself. Don't bore everyone. It's not even an achievement when you get into shape if you've just been in shape the whole time. Terrible way to live. A lot to talk about this week. Huge amounts. And uh, it would be wrong of me not to start with events in Los Angeles on Saturday night. I know I said Las Vegas in the last episode, but if you listen to it, I actually correct myself and go start talking about Los Angeles again after. Imagine that, though. Producing 38 minutes of content and there's people ringing me going, you, you said the Tyson Fury fights in Vegas, it's actually in LA. Fuck off. Um, what a performance. Is he better than Anthony Joshua? Is he better than Wilder? Mm. Guys, Tyson Fury is better than Ali. Tyson Fury is better than Tyson what he did on Saturday night is one of not only the greatest sporting achievements I've ever witnessed, but one of the greatest life achievements. 
He lost 10 stone, guys. That's like the weight of rugby union centres from the 1950s. He just deleted one of them off his body. He was addicted to cocaine for two and a half years. Do you know how many skags he must have had? Uh, like, dudes drop out of college and all because they've had a few skags. That chap, that chap went back and, and beat, probably beat, the, the best fighter in the world away from home. He was two and a half years out, really, of fighting. I know he fought the two bums when he came back. But, like, if you look at Ali's return... From his, from his absence from 67 to 70, he fought a few bums. He, he wasn't the same fighter. Then, then, he lost to, then he lost to Frazier. Mike Tyson, never the same fighter again after his break. Now, Ali did become the same fighter again, but he wasn't this quick. He wasn't fury quick. He didn't just come back and it was like the fucking break never happened. What, what are we talking about? He went 12 rounds. He he kind of like officially wasn't a boxer there for a while. I think I wasn't. People are going to fear he's, he's just finished. He's retired. Guys, we really, really need to discuss amongst each other and think about what an achievement that was. Now, people are saying he didn't lose. He didn't. As in, he won the majority of the rounds without question, at least nine. But my attitude is. Not the judges are corrupt or, or that it's a flawed system. The, the only flawed part of the system is how we judge it. The whole point system. My attitude is you get two fighters. You get the bronze bomber. One of the biggest hitters in the history of the heavyweight division. Whose job is to go into the ring, smack him about and knock him out. Tyson Fury, one of the best technical boxers ever. If not the best technical boxer at heavyweight ever. Job is to win on points and outbox them. Both achieved their goal. The bomber floored him twice. And the second time, I mean, who how do you even get up? Like it was it was just stupid. Um and and Tyson Fury outboxed him. Both of them kind of did their job. I want to see it again. Maybe it was a draw of sorts. They both did exactly what we all paid for them to do. Wilder fought well, punched the head off him. On two occasions, he, he, he knocked what a normal... Like if, if Tyson Fury wasn't an actual whale, um, he would have knocked him out. Tyson Fury outboxed him. Of course Fury won the fight, in terms of from a technical standpoint, and, and, and dominated the tempo, etc., etc. But the Bomber was never going to win in that department. They kind of both won the departments. It's a form of a draw in a way. So let's just see it again. Um, absolutely remarkable. The the whole thing, the the singing in the press or after his reaction to the draw, the maturity he he displayed when saying that he didn't want to kick up a fuss about the result because he knew that there was eight thousand travelers in the stadium, and he kind of did it for everything. He did it for the sport of boxing. He also kind of did it because he knew the travelers might react in a certain way, and he didn't want them to kind of drag the name of their community through the muck even more because we all know. How little of a fair shake they get in society. Just look at how Tyson Fury's few viewed, if you want to see that. Um, I, I think he deserves a knighthood. I don't even know if he'd accept one. I just really think what we saw was something special. What an honour to witness it. 
And I'm actually seeking an apology from every single UFC head or McGregor boy over the last three and a half years who forced their bullshit opinions of how boxing is dead and how UFC is taken over on not only me, but a lot of friends I have who are boxing fans. These guys who said McGregor is the best athlete in the history of Irish sport at one point, they were telling me. Yeah, ever heard of Roy Keane? Forget Roy Keane. Ever heard of Paul McGrath? Ever heard of David O'Leary? I'll even go as low as that. Because their legacies live on. Now, when you point out to these people that, okay, A, it's very embarrassing to be 24 and dress like a UFC fighter. Um, But if you point out to them that B, his fighting record's flawed. Great entertainer. Unbelievable businessman. We don't sit down, though, and say Niall Horan's better than David Bowie because we know it's business. So why sit down and, and exaggerate McGregor's achievements in the octagon? He beat a guy who hadn't lost in 11 years, kind of fluked it, like to win in 13 seconds, it, it, come on, you need to give that a rematch. He beats Mendes who didn't have a full training camp. He loses to Diaz the first time, and does he even win the second time? <clears throat> I mean, it's quite clear that the UFC manufactured his, his, his fights in a certain way that would guarantee his brand grew and grew. Like, guys, by kind of this whole McGregor stuff that you all adopt, you're kind of like the Anthony Joshua fans. Joshua, an absolute myth, who either one of those boys in the ring on Saturday night would make a fool of. Now, I'm not saying McGregor is a myth, but I'm saying, where are you now? This post-Khabib loss is like the guy isn't even famous anymore. I think you all kind of realise that to say boxing's gone and UFC's taken over when the face of the sport, in his last two fights, the boxing match with Floyd Mayweather, which, by the way, was an absolute disgrace. These guys actually tried to tell you that he went 10 rounds with Mayweather as if it wasn't set up. It was a fix. It was the equivalent of the Kerry footballers inviting Messi and the boys down to Killarney for a game of ga. Fuck, we won't use our hands. We'll only use our feet. It's the same thing. How can a guy who's not a boxer get into the ring at one of the greatest ever? It was a hoax. These guys, A, tried to tell us that was real. Um, McGregor, in the last 42 minutes of fighting, if you include the Mayweather and Khabib fight, didn't believe he could win for one minute. It's nearly two years, by the way. It's, it's nearly all the action he's had in two years. In the last 42 minutes of the man being in the ring, he's been motivated by nothing but money. So, yes. Excellent businessman. Entertainer. Great at what he did. But don't insult the names of great, great sportsmen by putting them into the conversation like you have done for the last three years. You might not do it now, but you did do. And I think we needed this Fury fight to show you what a real warrior is like. So an apology from all the McGregor heads out there. They've probably moved on to business themselves anyway, the McGregor heads. They're probably more into like generating profit. They're probably drinking his whiskey now at this point. And it's probably not about fighting anymore because they're that capable of just changing um what they stand for but um no it's it's great to see um fight the fight game is, is well and truly dominated by boxing and always will be and what we saw in the stable center on saturday is is like nothing that's ever been seen in an octagon what character shown by both men and um 
I really look forward to seeing. Like another reason for like McGregor's global success is like he's he kind of suits the modern day narrative of the Americanization of society, the kind of Kardashianization of everything. He was entertaining. He had his walk. He had his clothes. So they oh, like we're talking about a generation that Kim Kardashian had a meeting with Donald Trump eight months ago in the Oval Office. So there was an hour of our society, an hour of our society, where the two, the most important meeting in the world had Kim Kardashian on one side of the table and Donald Trump on the other. He was like uh, getting steel chairs hit over his head by Mick Foley and all. Like, uh, I don't even need to explain why she's famous, but like, she just had sex with a black guy in camera who had a huge willy. And her dad was a lawyer who got, a, who got an athlete away with murder. That was the most important meeting for an hour. That's the society we're in. It looks like Kylie Jenner, her younger sister, is going to become a billionaire because she's the younger sister of someone who shagged a black fella. And her L fella went from jumping over some of the highest poles ever placed um, on an Olympic arena to being the face of L'Oreal. Um, so that's kind of the reason why when you're in America, you're at a food truck and a guy serving things. You think Connor will win today? You think Connor will win when they really should be asking, what's the story with Tyson Fury? The Americans aren't even really giving him credit for it. They're, none of them believe at all that it should, should have been his win. They, so I've heard a lot of them saying Wilder. They're like annoyed about it because he doesn't play their game. He didn't Americanize himself. Now McGregor did, but in nearly a way that was kind of like, like he made us think he was being patriotic like, for Ireland, but he was nearly doing the Ireland thing because he knows it sells in America. He was kind of playing up to the paddies on tour on the peso for the crack. And he knew that's how the Americans want to view us. So even his kind of patriotism was all kind of geared towards growth in America. He was brilliant at what he did. But if we want to stick true to things and, and what truly matters in, in this society, it's, it's all about Tyson Fury. Couldn't be happier. And I don't think I'm alone in that one. Truly moved. Um, what a character. Thank you, Tyson. That was absolutely glorious. And another interesting news, and I don't know if many of you saw this, but the song Baby It's Cold Outside has been taken off the airwaves this Christmas due to some lyrics that people interpret as predatorial sexually. The man on numerous times pleads with the woman not to leave, citing the temperature, whilst in reality masking an inner want for fornication. Um, let's stop overreacting here. I mean... Knowing us in Ireland, we'll probably support it. We'll probably have people all over the airwaves talking about how it is sexist, it is misogynistic. Um, but because, again, we love to promote ourselves, I don't think we'll have any complaints about the word faggot being used in a fairy tale of New York. Guys, come on, it's a Christmas song from the fucking 30s or 40s. Apparently, the quote that's been taken up about something but in a drink has been completely misinterpreted anyway in the context of what the original song meant for it to mean um, it's it's just a pity um, that we've gotten to this stage 
we we have icons in society like Michelle Obama, who, by the way, why is she so overrated? She was the first lady, yeah. But like, what what's this symbol of hope thing? And what based on what? Why? And she's supposed to be like a leading female figure in society. Like, she's very patty with Jay-Z and Beyonce. Inviting them to the White House and stuff like that. Jay-Z, one of his biggest songs ever. If you're having girl problems, I feel bad for you, son. I got 99 problems, but a bitch ain't one. Look at the hypocrisy. You're sitting there talking about representing women in society while you're breaking bread at Jay-Z across the table. Even Beyonce. It's to sell records. I stand for women. I'm a hero for women. Yeah, but you're kind of making your money off singing songs written for you by other people while kind of shaking your booty. You're kind of objectifying yourself for sales. You're kind of telling women that beauty is very important to success. The exact message we're trying to get out of society. Like... If you want to ask about female heroes, why doesn't Margaret Thatcher get more of a say? The Iron Lady, one of the first leading figures that was a female in, the mod- in modern society, a stern woman whose political ideology is obviously very frowned upon in this nation, but we know how biased it is. I'll, do, I'll, I'll cover that in another episode, but we know how biased we view the Thatcher thing. But no one wants to talk about Thatcher because it doesn't suit the left-wing narrative. Beyonce or Margaret Thatcher, who do you think is a better representation of the fact, the fact that females are every bit as capable, if not more than men? Of course, it's Thatcher. Let's get real. And in terms of females in, in society, it's, it's a dark, dark day. Last night's Ballon d'Or event, the first female Ballon d'Or ever presented. Um, And the 23-year-old woman is asked quite staggeringly on stage if she knows how to twerk. Like, I can only think the guy who asked her is trying to lose his job or else is being the mafia or bribing him or something. I can't imagine a guy who got a high in the tree of of presenting. Like, you've got the Ballon d'Or job. He's a seasoned pro. He knows how the current world works. He knows it was the first female prize given out for, for world's best player in the history of the award. Why did he ask her that? It looks fishy to me. Someone had a picture of him leaving another woman's hotel room or something, and, and they're, they're fucking blackmailing him. He couldn't have just said that. Come on, I don't give a shit what kind of brain freeze or, or or just deluded moment he had. That's impossible. What is he doing? Why would he say that? Absolute disgraceful, by the way, that it was the first year ever the award was, was given. Um, and I hate the kind of distinction. It's all about woman, woman. Like, even by over-talking about his twerk thing, that was just crazy. I think we should just go, what an idiot, and ignore it. We're taking away from the girl here. Now, I don't know if this is embarrassing for female sport, or if it just shows how good she is. She has 120 goals in 95 games for Leon. Uh, last season, she scored 46 and 29. And the gal's nearly getting two goals a game. It's like she's playing uh, pro-evolution. 
and got some kind of cheat for, for, for the 08 version and she can't miss when she shoots 46 and 29 well come on I don't know is that a good or bad thing regardless we need to be talking more about her as a player as, a, as, a, as opposed to having what looks like the daughter of Marta and, and Maradona's one night stand that apparently happened based on her stats um, we should be talking about the gal let's not have her known as the twerk gal 46 gold on 29 she should either be the girl that represents the female game needs improvement defensively speaking or else be known as the biggest freak ever ever step onto a football pitch um, but I do um, I'm pleased to see Luka Modric just while I'm here to, to win the males prize um, because if we're calling them the women prize we should call it the male prize you can't just have Ballon d'Or then women's Ballon d'Or I was walking down the gym the other day in UCD and they have framed jerseys and I was looking at them and there was a female Irish rugby jersey and under the crest it says women why? Why do, you ha- why do you need that distinction? It's like we need, we can, okay, we'll let you play, but we demand you wear labelling that lets everyone know the standard in your game isn't as good as the male one. It just says women under the crest. What? What's this, a concentration camp? Give them the Star of David. Let everyone know we consider you inferior. Just women. Yeah, we know. We, we can see by kind of the long hair, the smaller bills, possibly short hair, but we can just kind of see by like the tackling technique and all, this isn't the male game. We can see what the size of the individual is playing. We, we don't need a thing under your crest. Just, just so when they bring it home and they put it in their wardrobe and they show it to their aunties and uncles, we already give them that skag circular crest you get at like schools level. But just on top of that, we just put, woman, you're a woman. So it doesn't really count. Really, really embarrassing stuff. No, but the men's prize, as embarrassing as it is that Lionel Messi came fifth, even though like he possibly could have won it again. Um, it's good to see Modric get ahead of Ronaldo. I really would have had a huge problem if Cristiano Ronaldo got awarded the Ballon d'Or again. It would have undermined the tournament. And listen, Messi and Ronaldo did what we asked them. Um, they, they did the decade straight. They did the 10 in a row. The hardest thing there is to win in sport is the Ballon d'Or. It's the most played game in the world. It's a team sport as well. To get nominated as the best individual in that sport is the most difficult thing you can achieve in sport. And for two human beings... To be the only two human beings to do it for a 10-year stretch is something we'll never see again. So they gave us the decade. Let's just celebrate it. Uh, fair play, Luka Modric, though. What, what an honour. Um, insane stuff. Absolutely insane stuff. Um, recently, I don't know if anyone saw this, but the Euros draw took place in the convention centre in Dublin. Um, really embarrassing for us. Um, first of all, we got drawn to the, that terrible group at Netherlands and Germany and then got humorously lucky when we got dragged out of it. And those north of the border, who we play with in rugby, Northern Ireland, get put in. We're laughing. We're hosting the event and we're laughing. We also had an Irish host in Rachel Wise who asked Robbie Keane around 25 questions about Irish football. We had the cameras constantly on Mick McCarthy. Like, guys, this isn't the Republic of Ireland tribute day this is the Euros draw I've never seen any other host nation of a draw have such a focus on their own football it was it was really narcissistic it was it was crazy every single thing that happened we're asking Robbie a question and the sheer laughter 
when we escaped that group of death, the Northern Ireland replaced us. That's coming from a football association who screams injustice at every single opportunity they have. We're just sitting there laughing. Because like, we nearly laugh because it's Northern Ireland. Like it's it was petty. It was wrong. Um I just I just can't really wrap my head around it. I think we let ourselves down in that department. Um today we have central midfield. This is this is extremely tough and, and this is an opinion. And there's gonna be a variety of opinions that surround this position because it's a position in which there's going to be six nominees for two places. And Modric isn't in those nominees. Javi Alonso isn't in the nominees. Patrick Vieira isn't in the nominees. That's just how fucking hard it is to be a nomination. Um, and I'm doing the same thing as centre has two threes. But like the, t- the two would be selective anyway, so it doesn't really matter who you're paired with. The t- it's, that's, that's just randomly done. Like Terry Ferdinand, where the two? It doesn't affect who you were nominated with. It's just an easier way to do it over two episodes. So for position one, I have three nominees. So for centre midfielder, number one, nominee number one, Roy Keane. Um, what really is there to say about Roy Keane? Um, the chap won seven Premier League titles, four FA Cups. He won PFA Player of the Year in OO. In terms of leadership, probably probably unrivaled in this sheer... He probably wouldn't even get away with it nowadays. Like, we all saw what happened with that disgraceful situation with Stephen Ward and the boys about WhatsApp audio notes, about him shouting at people and accusing them of not putting it in or being too soft with their injuries. Yeah, it's called management. It's leadership. You can't talk to people like that in the working world. Yeah, it's sports. You get to make 50, 60 grand a week for kicking a ball around. You should be able to take some abuse. It's a physical game. It's not like he's going in and shouting at people to make a sale in an office. He's shouting at people to make them tough, make them get people's faces and not hide from the ball because he never did any of those things when he played. He was a warrior. He should be able to, he was, I think he would have been a great guy for 15 years previous before the whole PC world came into things. But if he's getting that stuff... And complained about the media for, for that fucking Harry Arthur and Stephen Warchit. Like, what were they been saying about the great Fergie? Who, by the way, apparently, his per- Fergie's personal records were being, um, like, uh, broken into and, and, and looked at by nurses in, in Salford Hospital when he was inside. So there's an investigation going into that at the minute. Now, Bikino was powerful. He was dominant. He was a v- great tackler. Very good in the ball. Did the simple things beautifully well. A lot of people, ex-people who played him said he was one of the better passers they ever played with. Now, he didn't launch the thing from one sideline to the other, but he was concise, short, accurate. In his early days, he could also score goals. Like, when he signed for United, he, he kind of came to nearly be a goal-scoring midfielder to an extent, and he got two in his home debut. Um, but just in terms of his presence, just just insane. What a leader. And what a player. Um, the Ireland situation, depending on how you look at it, I think he. I think if if Keane said, "I want every single player to to shit into a bucket," um, while I use every single one of their own sweets, and I can just pick whatever one I want on the day, and they just can't use it, they're shitting in a bucket that will be left outside their hotel room door. I think it should have been accepted. He was Roy Keane. He was the reason we were in the tournament. He was a guy who was expected to play with guys like Gary Doherty, who, uh, when he had three years previously, single-handedly beaten a midfield with Zidane, Deschamps and Davids on his own, away in Turin, uh, whilst knowing for a good section of the match that he wasn't playing in the final. The, the guy was an absolute lion. 
and a huge name internationally and widely, widely respected. Um, so dominant. Uh, occasionally you could lose his tempers, but sometimes getting that tackle in first and letting them know you're there was a positive thing. And he did so, so much in a red shirt and was also very good at Knott's Forest. Um, Ireland career, of course, slightly marred by the side pan thing, but still put in 67 caps and, and played in USA 94. and Always good when he played because that's what Roy Keane was. Um, great, great player. A truly one of a kind. Work rate, phenomenal. And just never, ever went hiding. Um, but it's a very competitive position. So that's why Roy Keane can't make it. Nominee number two. And it's very, very hard to leave this guy out. It's very, very hard to leave this guy out. But life's hard. Frank Lampard. Guys, Frank Lampard scored 211 goals for Chelsea. Um, you know, Obviously, from a silverware point of view, the three leagues, four FA Cups and Champions League... They're all impressive. Three PFA team of the years. Second in Ballon d'Or in 05, which is, which is often overlooked behind Ronaldinho. Um, his international career, people criticise, was always solid. 106 caps, 26 goals. Like, let's, What would have happened if, if, if the goal against Germany wasn't disallowed for no reason? The biggest disgrace in the world, by the way, which it wasn't England, would have been much bigger news. Because if people think that in that kind of naughty's period... Golden generation, also when clubs were consistently getting the Champions League semi finals. If people think there wasn't an anti English thing, they're just deluded. Let's not forget Chelsea, Barcelona, 09 semi. That, the, the, the ball was more or less touching the net when Lampard lobbed more. What a goal to make it 2 all in a game of that magnitude. And if, if they've made it 2 all from 2 0 down, I don't think I'm alone in saying they, they probably would have kicked on and won the thing with the quality they had. Um, Frank Lampard's stamina is something that gets often overlooked he could just go all day long um, and like guys he didn't miss a Premier League game for three seasons once I think it was from 02 to 05 he played 38 in all three seasons the season before it, the 38 run started at 37 and the season after 35 like, that's scary, scary stuff. Um, and we know about the goals. We we know that he scored 177 Premier League goals. By the way, whilst having 102 assists. But let's not overlook things like his vision, his passing, how he could dictate tempo of games. Played under 13 different club managers. I don't really remember him having a problem tactically with any of them. He seemed to suit every single one. His attacking runs, the timing of them. And like, people say, oh, typical Lampard goal. He's got 41 Premier League goals from outside the box. The most ever. To put that into context, Stephen Gerrard at 33, as did Alan Shearer. Two guys who got absolutely... Like, when it left their boots, it looked like it was shot out of a cannon kind of thing. Lampard at 41. He was, he was very, very close to Perfect. What a player. Unbelievable player. We'll never see a centre midfield to score goals like that again. Just in terms of if you just want to go down the goal repurity and leave out the fact that he was 
good in every department. Like, it, he scored 22 league goals in the 2010 season under Ancelotti when they won the double. That's, that's ridiculous. I think it was 28 or 27 in all comps. It's just ridiculous. And he just kind of scored always. He never really stopped. Even when he went to City, I think he gave them eight goals in all comps. He was on a fucking walking stick. He even put the ball in the union for New York City FC. Um, he's, he's doing quite well in management now. He's an intelligent, intelligent man. Uh, and an RM spectacular footballing man with an unbelievable footballing mind. Scary player, loved the big game, and the big game loved him. Um, as I said, unbelievably difficult to leave him out. The way he read the game, just everything. He just grew up with his cousin Jamie Redknapp kicking that ball in his granddad's back garden. Actually, when he made his England debut, he played in midfield with Jamie Redknapp. Think about how hard that is to do. Think about how many people want to play football for England. And you make your debut, your cousin's there with you. But yeah, played in the back with his dad, Frank Senior, West Ham legend, and Uncle Harry Redknapp, probably watching them out the window, critiquing them. Bobby Moore was popping around the gaff for tea. And you could kind of tell he came from that level of football in royalty because nothing ever seemed to phase Frank. He was so good at West Ham as well when he got that move to Chelsea for like 15 million big money at the time I think it was around that uh, super Frank Lampard even <clears throat> even though we shared uh, Manchester United shared a rivalry with that Chelsea team that for me is the best in English football history they won the league 05-06 uh, we won the league cup 06 we won the league 07-08-09 they won the league cup and FA cup 07 they lost us in the Champions League final in 08. They won the FA Cup in 09. They then won the Dublin 2010. We won it back in 11 and got to a Champions League final. Then they won the Champions League in 12. Then we won the league in 13. Like it was it was unbelievable. The trophies were just being dominated by Manchester United and Chelsea throughout that whole period. Lampard was one of the key thorns in the side of Manchester United at the time. But even, even with that being the case, it was just impossible to hate him. He was just so good. He was just so, so good. Perfect. Perfect midfield player. Um, very, very difficult to leave him out. And if it wasn't for the emergence of the next person I'm going to mention in recent years, and some of you might disagree with this. Some of you might say it's too soon. Some of you might say, <clears throat> yeah, he's brilliant, but he's not at that level. Well, I think you really need to check yourself then. How can I leave out N'Golo Kante? How can I leave him out? Think about it, guys. He extinguishes any form of creativity that his opponents display. He reads the game and intercepts the ball like nobody we've ever seen. He tackles like no midfielder we've ever seen. I know there's a cliche that there's two Kantes because Steve Walsh or whatever said when he was at Leicester, our midfield is drink water with Kante either side of him. I know there's the whole jokes about him having 12 lungs and all, but guys, the ground he covers. He's absolutely everywhere. Since he's come from Cannes, he won the most outrageous uh, league in the history of football and he was behind winning that league with Leicester. I know he didn't win PFA Player of the Year because fucking Mahrez did. Or he didn't win Football Riders Player of the Year. But if you look closely at it, he won Leicester's player, player of the Year that season. The teammates thought he was the best player on the pitch. 
Um, he comes and basically wins Leicester the league in 2016. PFA team of the year. Out of nowhere, remember, Can had one top fight season ever. He goes to the Euros with France that summer. And probably Deschamps' biggest managerial mistake ever is not starting in the final against Portugal. They would not have lost that game if Kante started ahead of Matuidi. They wouldn't. He then goes to Chelsea, a team that finished very, very far away from the top four of the season before. And absolutely walks the league with them. Winning PFA Player of the Year along the way. This is two seasons into his English career. His third season, he wins the FA Cup. And that summer, for me, is the key ingredient for France winning the World Cup. Just, guys, look at this level of success. As Hazard said, if he plays well, you have a 95% chance of winning. Says he's the best midfielder in the world, hands down. Lampard said recently, Kante, best midfielder in the world, hands down. Um, Defenders don't play as well without him sitting in front of him. And midfielders don't play as well when he's not beside them. Look at Pogba. Look at Paul Pogba. Look at his World Cup. Oh, it's a Mourinho thing. No, it's not. Can't take us beside him. <clears throat> like, let's be honest. Pogba was at the United Academy. We let him go. Fergie fell out with his age and he went to Juve. He was very, very good. And he came back and he, we came back for world record fee. And everyone's so disappointed now. They're saying it's an attitude thing. Yeah, his attitude isn't great. But guys, like, Pogba isn't a Gerard Lampard or Skulls. He's not at that level. Nothing has suggested he is. Pogba isn't at the top, top table of midfielders. Guys, he's, he's nearly 26 years of age. But he had three good seasons at Juve. Good seasons. Getting, what, 10 in all comps. Not even really being their best midfielder. Walk in the Italian league. Like, he's brilliant, but he's not, he's not ridiculous. He's not, I don't know what people are expecting him to be doing. And, and Kante, when, with Kante beside him, was probably the only time he ever flirted with the idea of being well and truly world class. But it was Kante. Kante made drink water good. His second name is drink water. Kante's effectiveness is unheard of. He's, he's ridiculous. Plays, you win more or less, and I know he hasn't been there as long as the Lamparts and the Keens. And I understand that Alonso and Modric and these guys are been left out of nominations because they weren't in the English game for long enough. But he has quite simply just changed everything. He's just changed everything. He's he's he's. I don't even know. How do you describe N'Golo Kante and how effective he is? He has to be in the team. We can't leave him out. If, if let's say, that this, this actually existed and you had to bring the Premier League 11 to play an all-time 11 from another league, you'd leave him out. How? Kante has to be in there. N'Golo... Get to know the boys. Because you're just, you're just a freak of nature. You are an un, you're, undescri- you, you're a freak in Gola. Sit, I'm not even going to tell you what to do. Just get, go to the gaff. You don't have to stay there. You can stay in the B&B down the road. Whatever you want to do. Just play, please. Um, the competition draw was done on Friday evening. 
we put the two names down, we associated one of them with the head side of a coin and the other with the tail side. Uh, Mr. Dunley got tails and Mr. Corcoran got heads and the coin was flicked and tails came up. On Dunley, congratulations. Um, you're going to be a very wealthy man come early February. Have a good week, MA show. See you Friday.